Welcome to Zero Ambitions Podcast. This podcast has high ambitions to share knowledge and information that we hope will lead to action in the fight for our planet in this time of climate emergency. Now this week we found ourselves without an interviewee, as happens when life events interrupt your plans. But Jeff, Duncan and I met anyway to discuss some topics close to our hearts, including investigating alternative domestic heating strategies, the shocking state of affairs with the energy price cap hike and the importance of reducing our demand for energy. Because I think we all know the cheapest and greenest energy is that which we don't have to generate in the first place. We hope you enjoy this episode. We started today by talking about heat networks and district heating systems. The stuff that we've been sharing this week around um the heat networks concept and the questions that I would have had to ask today would have been around, okay, let's just take it back to basics here. Like most people's experience um, of their energy coming into their home, their heat energy coming into their home is the gas boiler, certainly in the UK. And district heating or heat networks is not something that's so familiar. And and it certainly does exist, I know, in like estates and in particular housing schemes in the UK, Mm -hmm. but I'm not that familiar with it. And I wonder how many listeners would be equally familiar with it. And when you see what the Danes are doing and how much of their domestic heat is delivered through district heating and that it is actually source agnostic, I think. And what they mean by that is, could it be gas, could it be oil? It could have been burning, whatever but now yep. it's renewables, whatnot. Yep. That's really fascinating mm-hmm. to me. So I just was like wondering about um, how, like how would it become not gas boilers, not heat pumps, but district heating? Like, do we use it existing infrastructure? Like, No. So so I've I've delivered and designed district heating systems to, to two fairly big ones. Gosh, I've done a lot, haven't I? I'm only 30. <laughs> <laughs> And um, go on out of that. I know it was 32 last year. Come on. <laughs> I swim back and look, I'm like, uh, I'm like uh, fiddling the clock on your taxometer when you turn it back. Um, <laughs> yeah. But what so I went over to, to Denmark to, to Copenhagen and met the Danish Board of District Heating. Uh, they gave us a tour, a couple of day tour. And honestly, it was incredible. I mean, it's phenomenal the infrastructure that they've got out there. But you got to appreciate they started like 50 years ago. Mm. And also, I'm not. I've never gotten to the bottom because I know Morton really, really well. I actually called Morton a friend, Morton Dudnal, who's who's their ambassador for district heating, and they they never really get a huge amount of detail about how much they reduced demand in the first place. Mm. And mm. the points about district heating is, and I'm not, I'm not. I mean, I've, we've delivered it. Um, but how much demand? And Nathan Gambler makes this point. In district heat, district heating is uh, an inner city urban um, concept, how much heat do you really need? Because what Nathan was saying was, you only need about four or five kilowatts for a you know a, a flat. So it's a bit disproportionate in the same way you would stick a 40 kilowatt boiler is, is putting 20,000 pounds worth of, of of district heating in. But essentially what the Danes do, what the stuff that I've done is just, it's a big hot water system, Sarah, and it is fuel agnostic. So it's a hot water system that hits interfaces. So you'd have an interface in every house and you'd have a hot water system with piping 80 degree, 90 degree heat uh, going out, heating the internal loop. Just exa- all, all you're really doing is replacing the gas flame with hot water. And the interface in each house um, obviously controls the amount of um, 
heat you put in and 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 controls it through the through the system. So, so we keep but, our radiators and we keep all of our pipework and we get rid of the gas boiler and you put something else in its place because I think people's heads are already kind of around a, a heat yeah. pump being around the same thing. Although with the heat pump, we've got to have the tank, which you know means we've got. That's exactly it. it. So is, exactly we it. then to have this interface thing. Sort of, is it the size of yeah. a boiler? Is it no, boiler? it's about half. The, look, looks exactly like a boiler, but half the size. All you've got in that are controllers. Literally, you've got a, a, an interface that has the hot water from um, the loop system. Um, that, that, that integrates with internal loops. So two loops meet each other, the internal rad system with the, with the external um, straight from source. So the ones that I've, I've done biomass and I've done CHP, so combined heat power, which mm. is gas, but, but maybe electricity as well, obviously not in favour these days for obvious reasons. Having said that, I'm not sure biomass could really be... Oh. Uh, biomass CHP as well, but it needs bigger scale. Yeah, well, this one was a 500 unit scale, so it's a it's a big Austrian boiler. It was always funny because when we got the it's a million pound Austrian boiler. Interestingly, because you're burning like temperatures of several hundred degrees, it only lasts you ten years, and you have to swap it out. Yeah. But we got this big Austrian boiler, and nobody could understand because it was in German. So oh, it's kind of scratching our head and stuff. <laughs> saying, like, what, what do these things do? But it, it means you've got a chimney, a smokestack. You've got to take that smoke away. But there's a huge cost. In district heating, and I wonder from the Danish experience, I never quite got to the bottom of does it mitigate the need because you're essentially pumping really high temps from the Danes used oil, coal, and um, oil and coal over the last and biomass significant the biomass. They've now weaned themselves off that, and they're using more um, renewables. They've got a lot of electricity. They also have a link with Norway, so they they they, they get hydropower from Norway. At certain things, so it's quite integrated. Yeah. But the point about these district heating systems, they, they compensate for for leaky buildings because the supply really. So the rads that you would get in a biomass system, for example, you know, you get like 60, 70 degree heat. You won't get that from from heat pumps. So they they compensate, I think, for what you what what the I th- I don't think the Danes took fabric to the extent that we would like to. So I mean, I guess it's in my mind and. I'm fresh out of my passive house training about sizing heating systems based on the need. If yeah. I mean, if we're talking about a centralised um, heat generation um, point, mm-hmm. surely we can size that and it could service significantly more like buildings and homes and deliver the heat demand that they need, whether we do retrofit or not. Not just we don't do retrofit because absolutely we must yeah. do the demand reduction first and foremost yep. the whole yep. way. Um, so could we, is that how that works? You, you yeah. size the system, right? So if the cost yeah. is big, surely if we also reduce the demand and therefore make the energy that we're generating go that much further, we'd have one of those big old systems for the whole of the city of London, right? <laughs> exactly that. And the, the way these, the efficiencies and part of the problem in the UK, when you see district heating, it's not integrated in the way that the Continentals do it. And what I mean by that is the, the, the success of their systems are that they modulate it. So, hmm. for example, you've got a school, you've got a residential area, you've got a factory, and the load is sized 
uh, is optimally sized because when your school comes out at three o'clock, your demand goes way down. When people come home from their work at five o'clock, your, your demand goes up again. So it's this lovely modulation where you're not in, so you're not giving everyone a 40 kilowatt boiler in a school, a big 100 kilowatt boiler. You're essentially using the load and putting the load where it's required at certain mm. times. And, and that, that even and applies in the building too. Very frequently often, like I know that I know some companies who've won some uh, centralized heating systems uh, in big apartment buildings in London. And they were finding they were winning on price because the engineers they were um, who were parts of other bids for the, for the project were, uh, by their estimation, the heat pump company I know, heat pump contractor, mm-hmm. were oversizing the system by a factor of anywhere from four to ten, from what they were saying. Yeah. Um, so yeah. um, because they were assuming, for instance, um, that you're you're sizing for and some of the engineers are sizing for the uh, for simultaneous domestic hot water requirements for every apartment in the building or for a very high proportion, you know, um, that kind of stuff. Um, and, so, um, yeah, that can help en- enormously, you know. So so this is it. And the question I would have for Bayes if they were on is, is because we, we talk about the skills that we need. So we I think we accept we've got the skills in our industry to design buildings, Sarah, because, mm. you know, we've got people like yourself and, 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 and the readers of Jeff's magazine to do that. I'm, I think we're all comfortable that we need to put those professionals in charge. Because when we talk about the skills, we talk about the trades people, the people uh. that how we talk about your tightness and all that. Have we got the skills to size stuff, to design stuff at that level just now? Oh, I'm not sure. Mm. I don't. I don't think so. I think it. I think you would have to rely on what the Scandinavian. I, I, the, we walked into this, um, and I'll send you the pictures on. I've got them in my hard drive. We walked into this control panel in uh, Copenhagen, and honestly, it was it was like something out of Star Wars. It was these guys who were looking at something coming offline and they were bringing you know bringing power from norway to because it was at nine o'clock and and factories were starting and it was incredible this this kind of um, optimized journey of these engineers planning and plotting stuff and but but obviously before you even get to that stage you have to design it and you're absolutely right do designers overcompensate and how does that i think they do because nobody wants to get a project it's not that that, that, it's not going to work it's how you get that optimization in a way that um that doesn't create inefficiencies itself. I think that's an interesting one for bees. So for my simplified, and I know I'm, I'm really making it like, so we keep our radiators and then we swap out the boiler, but then on the infrastructure, on the delivery infrastructure, what do we use? Given, let's assume that there are sites available or sub, yeah. like subterranean positions under buildings for district heating systems or however we're going to like locate them in yeah. neighbourhoods or in towns or cities where what do we does this then involve a significant amount of digging up and and, and massive insulation we don't have that yet but at the same time twice in the last four years the streets outside around us have been dug up so that new Mm -hmm. fiber optic cables can be in you know these are substantial pipes as well it's worth worth saying you know so yeah so so there's massive amount what you have to then appreciate is as well so there's two so um you know, you, you've got the the trunk network that goes from plant to building, but then you've got branches off of that. Mm-hmm. So there's a significant amount of reason. Now, I think we were, I want to qualify this if, if people are listening to this, I think we were looking at a million pounds per kilometre in piping right. in um, 2017. So I guess the question I should have started with, <laughs> yeah. excuse my Friday um, thinking, but the question I should have started with is district heating. Are we good for retrofitting neighbourhoods with district heating? And I guess it's maybe case by case basis, but probably that's pretty tricky by the sounds of it. 
I think the problem, I would take it back a step further and say, who's going to do it? Mm. So what 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 you f- what my concern about district heating is is do you then start to create a monopoly for companies that have got the financial clout to put that resource in and then does that change? Do we get to the stage in twenty years where we're paying inflated prices because we've got one person providing that heat? Mm. So yeah, because can can you make a district system um, uh, open to competition? I don't really think so. No, in fact, no. no I spoke to Dave Pearson about this and. You know, what else you can you can build a system with lots of resilience. It takes maybe um, waste heat from sewers. It takes um, water from uh, heat from water. It, it maybe uses a bit of biomass and so on. Well, it's still a monopoly in terms of who provides that heat to the end user. Mm. And the and and the problem you have with that is, as I said, the costs that I had for doing district heating in twenty seventeen were seventeen thousand pounds a unit. So who pays for that? Yeah, I mean, the cost thing is a really, I mean, what a timely thing to be talking about with mm. yeah. frankly I mean yeah. I, do you know when when the price cap was published earlier and the price cap rise was published earlier this week a hand in a hand in on my heart it just broke for so many people can you imagine receiving that news if you already were trying to like pay you know yeah. I, 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 and that is just horrific and so there's there was that that just sat with me all week and I just thought to myself like how oh. is this and also the the response in terms of like mm-hmm. giving rebates and so on and so forth that's not that's 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 just a con it's I'm yeah. sorry it's a con I don't mean to be government bashing all the time but come on like it's not it's, enough, it's, not, it's not okay yeah, it's not okay and and that's a that's a real problem but the other damaging thing I saw out of this was I've spoken to a couple of people who are happy to be early adopters for installing heat pumps, mm-hmm. knowing that it will be, you know, very expensive, you know, compared to what they're paying mm-hmm. with their gas boiler, but they want yep. to sort of put themselves forward of being that. They're now a significant number of early adopters or people who were in the privileged position to be able to install and not going to be able to do so, you know, mm-hmm. as well. So I think that there's a, you know, what's at play here like i mean there's a cynicism in me or a suspicion in me that's just going hang on a minute like so heat pumps yeah heat pumps were being pushed not nearly at the scale that they maybe needed to be but they were now this is coming which is not a surprise it's not a surprise to the people who are supposed to be forecasting and understanding where our energy is coming from and for Mm -hmm. those who chose not to maintain our gas reserves okay Mm -hmm. so i'm thinking like to myself what's the bigger play here because mm-hmm. something's afoot and mm-hmm. I don't quite know what it is because I'm still relatively new hence my questions <laughs> about yeah I, I, I you know I wonder whether and this is I need to be very careful you know what I'm going to say here I wonder whether the strategy isn't I, I'm whether I'm wondering whether the, 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 there isn't a strategy overall that's my concern that there isn't actually uh, yeah. a no the, one under the, the wheel. Well, I, I, think I thought you what, were driving, Jeff. <laughs> I, th- I think what my concern is that can't drive. <laughs> and th- this is this is lazy fair economics, isn't it? Oh, it's okay. The market will sort it out. Yeah. And and that that is. I mean, you know, I think I could say this, and if, if this was to be broadcasted, that's that's conservative. That's conservative policy. Is in fact, you know, Bay, you know, Bayes are quite open and honest for that. We they, they see a market led approach with consumer choice. Simple as that. Mm. So yeah. I suppose they would hope that the market comes to them with solutions. Now, the concern over district heating is that you get some big players that's got some significant capital invest and you then get a monopoly on heat. 
But I mean, this notion of, um, you know, consumer choice and letting the market look after you. We are talking about millions of people who don't participate in the market, exactly. don't have any anything to participate yeah. in the market with. Who's looking yeah. out for them? Yeah. No, like, who is looking out for them? And, you know, I, I, I the longer that we talk about these things, the more and more I really feel like it's about um, this notion of pause, demand reduction. Actually, it's pause, get to know your buildings so that you can effectively reduce the demand through the yeah. actions, through the money that you're going to pour into these buildings and then heat them. Like, yeah. no, that's really, again, quite simplistic, but it helps for me to sort of, I'm, I, I'm amazed every time when I read a report from a select committee that comes out or I read some other recommendation from somewhere. And the first yeah. bit they talk about, yes, we're, you know, the, the, there was that recent report um, that I shared earlier a select committee um, that were recommending that the government weren't even on target to hit their own decarbonisation of, of, of homes um, and that things needed to be addressed urgently. Um, and I I just, it was talking about low carbon heating. Oh, and then energy efficiency. And I'm like, am I the only one who thinks it should be the other way around? Like, totally. it's got to be like energy efficiency and then put the energy in. I know people need energy now. I know that. but. Mm-hmm. Also, at the same time, you know, it needs to be this scheme mm-hmm. that makes homes well, better. And they need buildings that will be capable of being resilient and not killing them in yeah. the event that there's uh, they can't afford the energy or that there's just, that there's interruption in supply. There's, yeah. it's, it's, it really should be a non-debate. It's still probably the best analogy I, I heard about this, which is pretty useful to heard um, before, was... Um, uh, it's used often for, for air tightness, but it's more applicable generally for, for for energy efficiency. It's a bucket of water. You know, if you have a bucket of water and you have a hole in it, what do you do? Yeah. Plug the hole or you keep filling it with water you know, and look for a cheap source of, a cheap way to get new water to the bucket. Yeah. You know, That's it. It's as simple as that. But I, I think this goes, I mean, again, this is this is about, you know, central government policy here and, and I'm becoming more aligned with your grassroots up movement, but that's still a collective movement um, as opposed to my you know, top down, but that's still a collective movement. The point I'm trying to make here is that the the only way, or the way that you will um, reduce demand, and you know, the, the hashtag demand reduction is is through collective action, either side, you either have collection action at yeah. a regional basis, yeah, yeah. Or, or local. That is not what conservative policy is about. They don't like that. No, I know. And and that's fundamentally the, the, the disconnect. You know, without. Banging on politically, isn't this an absolute failure of policy over the last ten years? But where we've got to, I mean, I know that you're in Ireland, uh, Jeff, and uh, we're either side of the border, Sarah. But we're looking at a cost of living crisis here just now. We're looking at un- unsustainable levels of, of of fuel poverty and and, and bills. I mean, 10, 10 years of policy has got us to a really really bad. There has been no strategic planning, um, and 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 how we've got here, I think, is it really is failure of of government to plan and put policies in place that are for the kind of greater good. I'll stand down for my soapbox now. No, no, no. You're, right. you're right. And 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 uh, I think there's a question. We also, even within the sustainable side of the construction industry, I think we need to to take a look at, at where we've been. So I think mm. affordability hasn't been anywhere near enough of a consideration in in, mm. uh, in a lot of the thinking around sustainability. You know, yeah. um, and um. <sighs> It, 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 that has to be central in our thinking uh, yeah. from, from from this point on. We need to be able to say, um, work out the implications of 
rises in energy prices on uh, you know on, on, on people's lives and and think, think about which interventions we can put in place now that and the problem you have with something like district heating for instance and it, I'm not ruling it out because there are good applications for it um, typically when an ESCO is set up to do district heating you from my experience I don't know about how this works in, in your case Duncan but they are either uh, the price is determined on a 10 or 15 year period, typically at least, uh, through, through an ESCO, either with uh, a, a fixed price, which is m- very risky for the for the ESCO. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that might be, you know, inflation, I don't know, index link or something like that. Um, or they track oil or gas prices and and, mm-hmm. and uh, pledge to, you know, they keep within 10%, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mm-hmm. I think 10% lower than oil or gas prices, that kind of way. Mm-hmm. And again, there are risks uh inherent in that and it's it's just and and the fun there is that fundamental disconnect that if you have a, a an energy supply model um, and most energy energy utilities in their nature have this, this kind of difficulty how do you find a way for them to make more money through selling less energy that's mm. the problem you know um well well this is and i think this is fundamentally at the heart of how we need to shift the dynamic away from selling products to selling a service. If, if you're selling a product, right, you're walking away from that product and you're giving somebody a year's defects liability and you're not worried about it. How, the market, and, you know, I don't want to sound like a, Marx, a Marxist, right, but, you know, the market will, the market won't work if you're selling product products. The market will work if you ask the market to become super efficient. And if you sell it as a service, the market will look at how it can improve that and refine that, and 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 that is where you get the best deal for the consumer. And I think I just wanted to say on on clarification as well. When you mentioned ESCO before, like a couple of months ago, I didn't know what that was. That's an energy service company, right? Yeah. And so it's it, the clues in the name, the service, energy service. Um, exactly. Exactly. I think yeah. what we have what we have to look at is how does the market serve the consumer? And I think ESCOs play a buffer or an interface because I think you can set ESCOs up in a way that they are um, they can that they can attract state funding without anti-competition rules, but they can also be owned by a community, by political involvement. Basically, they can be owned by a, a, a they can be an entity which is for the public good, but they can interact and inter- interact with the market and interface with the consumer. And I think that 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 is an interesting concept to develop in how you how you can sell energy as a service where you're saying, look, this is actually too important for somebody to make a whopping great profit out of it. How do we get it efficiently? It is, it's a it's a cultural shift as well, though, isn't it? I mean, I just want to come back for one second because it was a shocking um headline to read that the Bank of England warned that we face the biggest fall in living mm. standards since records began. <laughs> Uh, how how in twenty twenty two how has that been allowed to happen? I know. I mean, I don't know. De- me and my husband managed to have our gas consumption and electricity consumption through behavioural change. Mm-hmm. We did a project um, eighteen months ago, whatever it was. Um, now, given <laughs> we were a bit, <laughs> we were going to do, we were going to try. We were aiming for half, and there were days where I was like. I don't know if I want to be doing this challenge today, but we could easily, through behavioural change and education, we managed, and educating ourselves, because maybe we didn't kind of, kind of fully understand things, we did manage to cut like our our consumption through that. And that's that's not for everybody to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that was an experiment. We were we were trying to do that. 
but like I'm interested in also exploring the tools and the education around that that allow people to have some sort of protection and buffers built in not by way of having to eke stuff out but making their buildings work um in response to how they live in them as a system and mm-hmm. things like um having um thermostat smart thermostats that know like whether you know where you yeah. need the heat to be coming on so you're not just heating the whole building and so on and so forth and all of those things and I, I suppose I'll get over myself in a minute of just being so flummoxed as to how we've gotten here. But all these things, you know, the investment in energy efficiency hasn't been addressed in any great way. Sure, you'll find energy efficiency guides on all of your energy um, suppliers' websites. Mm-hmm. But who who's going there? No one's going there looking for that information. It should yeah. be much more as, yeah, something that is mm-hmm. just embedded in in our society like it should be something that is provided for for people in the same way that um yeah. other services are you know yeah, and it's beyond me yeah. that that doesn't exist i think we need to also tell the stories of show people what's possible you know mm. um, how, um and we're now i mean i saw um a tweet um earlier um specific to pv um about how the business case for pv as a consequence of the energy price increases has dramatically improved they're talking about something like a 17 percent return on investment for a, for a domestic pv rate which is which which is pretty extraordinary for them um, and better still depending on how much own consumption you know you were doing rather than exporting um but the point was that um a lot of the assumptions we make, even if we think through the narrow kind of prism of of payback um, for you know and ignore the the benefits um, of of energy efficiency, um, the the arguments now in light of the kind of prices we're seeing now would be very different to where they where they were when prices were much lower. Um, and I think that, that's that's worth considering. But I think also, I mean, now is the time. Last year, Mark Sidal, if you know the um, uh, Northern Passive House uh, architect, uh, who's kind of prominent on Twitter, he started a challenge in, was it February or I think mid-February, um, uh, where he was encouraging Passive House owners um, to yeah. switch their heating systems off yeah. Um, yeah. and record the temperature each day. Um, yeah. So uh, that I, I think he's going to be reviving that again this year. I, you'd hope he'd do mm-hmm. it when it's as cold as possible and see how how long they last. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the point is, you know, uh, the, the, I think we need to get that message out to people. There are enough, there's lots of stories, case studies that we've published w- uh, with people who are getting away with with consuming, in some cases, no purchased mm-hmm. heat energy. At all, yeah. as mad as that sounds, you know, uh, uh, for in a comfortable building. And that's new build, retrofit more challenging. But the point is that those principles um, can be, you know, they, they can be followed and you can get down to tiny, tiny levels uh, yeah. of, of, of consumption with high comfort. Um, and that needs to be considered. <laughs> I think we both <laughs> I'm going to talk, but I'm going to let you talk first. <laughs> Really? All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if anyone anyone's listening, we were desperately trying to put in there. So I think no, I, I think well, you would of course expect me to talk about pacifiers, wouldn't you? Because that's that's where where I work. But you know, the, I think, and we've had this discussion whether off, offline or online um, a number of times. But 
we've got to get away from looking at the cost through, you talked about narrow prism, through the, the, the cost through the, 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 the spreadsheet of a QS. Mm-hmm. And we've got to start to talk about what, what's going on in homes just now in a way that spans housing, that talks about society, the economy, health, the environment. And, and so I put something on LinkedIn during the week and someone said, that's just a lot affordable, isn't it? We've said this before time after time. Compared to what? How do you measure it? So we're already now in a position where even if you did want to measure through a QS's um, prism, then you're looking at over the course of the next 10 years, you might spend 25 grand on heat. Uh, right. So if you want to measure that, then it's almost it's almost becoming comparable. But we need to look about what's the benefits to society where homes that don't attract mold and rot, where homes where it doesn't exacerbate asthma, where homes are built by you know skilled craftsmen, tradesmen who 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 feel more you know more pride in the work that they do in a way that perhaps isn't there just now, and that meets an environment. How do you measure that stuff? Because right now we're not. No, I know, but I think this is the thing we um that that's that's this is where a lot of change will come. It's in the balance between, um, or it's in the in the change the the cultural change between. What's the difference between the value and the cost? Because that's what's this, so so important, and and it's yeah. I think we should talk about this all the time, yeah. all the time. And I know, like you know, you you work pacifist trust. You both have um, connections pacifist. I'm doing with pacifist training now, and I think the thing for me is that I've been I've been feeling that what we all need to do is understand our buildings and understand where the heat is lost and understand how we can factor those things out that bit of knowledge that you get from understanding the building science of things and also understanding that you can model it which means that you can sort of take it look at it play with it understand where you can balance things i mean i'm probably saying all these words and each are like yes 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 she's finally gotten on the page but it's it's um it's really amazing stuff and the power in that bit of knowledge and the the comfort that that then gives me to be able to advise you know, whoever I'm working with in the built environment um, industry, it's it's phenomenal. And similarly, we talked about skills gaps and what does that mean? And maybe part of the feeling of, you know, not having pride in, in not so much pride in your work, but having no sort of recourse for work that might be carried out to shoddy standards is also maybe a bit of a reflection on the fact that as much as, 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 as trades folk will be able to know how bits go together maybe they don't really also understand the like i mean they maybe did they've done you know 50 bathrooms in their time and mm. some of them end up becoming condensation and some of them don't and yeah. maybe they don't really understand why and that's a bit frightening because you think well this is my trade i should know yeah. but if you don't have that building science sort of bit yeah. and then the, but when you do you have it for everything and it, everything else makes so much more sense you can be really efficient in your decision making you know, you know that that's a good thing. You will want to shout from the mountains mm. about like how good it is. So, so Jeff, I don't know about you, but I feel as if we've evangelised her. And I feel I don't. Do you remember that? Do you remember that brother? Do you remember that brother? Where are they when they when they hear the people being baptised in the river? I see Sarah, Sarah going to the river, heads under the water. Okay, I'm also doing the AECB carbon light. Are we just talking for the boys then? Are we doing yeah? <laughs> Doing them concurrently for my sins. As well as reading around other things and just other ways, I'm basically trying to be this like I'm just trying to to engage with all of the knowledge that's out there. So I get my hands dirty with all of it, the, and then sort of try and understand where it all fits and what we should be promoting. Not that I am the person to tell everybody, but I think when you have the lived experience of it, yeah. that you can share where you think it's appropriate. Um, yeah. And 
that's where that's where I'm at in my journey anyway. The great thing is as well is that it's that it's linked. I mean, in other words, um, the, I have a pretty strong sense now that the, the deeper you get into this, it all kind of leads you in one in one direction. Mm. Um, and um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people who end up doing a lot. Of, I, I know architects who end up doing um, expert witness work on failing buildings. These are people who came at building through passive house courses. They learned, they went down that route and all of a sudden they started to work, understand why buildings are failing and so on. And and, uh, and they end up, um, yeah, winning winning very, very interesting work that they can never talk to anyone about, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is interesting, isn't it? Like uh, you mentioned when buildings fail and I think that's true, you know, buildings do fail. If you've got condensation or you've got issues or you've got bad conditions inside then that I suppose technically that's failing but um, when you look at it through the lens of retrofit and through understanding buildings I actually sort of see it as like and again this is not a new concept sort of sick buildings um, mm. and, and that sort of thing if we look at it like that like we are healing those buildings and mm. if Sal and Dave um, are listening they'll laugh at me using that word and we'll tell you more about that later but if you look at it and start to talk about it through that lens, healing buildings, improving upon, instead of the kind of, oh, wholesale, stop, start, do it again. Everything is terrible. It's really bad, failing, that language. I think that, that kind yeah. of fares, and, and it's not a criticism of your use of it. I think of the way we talk about it, kind of people are like, oh God, if it's going to fail, then we're all going to, my insurance is going to go through. All yeah. these things kind of freak each other out. If we know that we are coming with this ability to heal, actually what you've got has got a really good basis, a really good structure, and we can make it better. So what you've got is worthy, worthy of being healed. What you've got is a great asset and it is a home or it is your workplace or it is your community office, whatever it is. It's there and it's to be improved and you can be part of that. So it becomes a valuable part of your system of living, of the environment that you live in. And I know it's just like talking about words, but it matters how we talk about these things and it yeah. matters the language that we use. Mm. So if you start to talk about this, like the healing of our houses or the upgrade or the improvement or the betterment or all those things, then suddenly it sort of feels like, oh, maybe there's a bright future ahead and maybe with these skills we can build on what we've got. And that allows for conversations around the importance of heritage and it allows for conversations around you know the importance of culture and i think that's allows us then to talk about retrofit as a societal tool for improving our lives it, it, it is really important but it's really important within that i mean you're absolutely right um it's really important within that that we recognize that a generic term like retrofit for instance or sustainable building or whatever it might be um is not enough that that mm. the, 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 this kind of goal of producing a of healing a building or having a healthy building um, uh, is only really achieved if you take approaches that are building physics based. Mm. Um, there are retrofit approaches going out going on out there um, where which will be causing uh, potentially catastrophic damage to buildings, causing mm. joist ends to rot, for instance, because mm. of interstitial condensation. You know, I know of one case, um, uh, um, one of these expert witness cases, where that uh, talk of a roof sliding off a building. You know, mm. um, yeah. so um, there are real issues that they can be tackled, and, and we can and we can show the You know, absolutely. We we we, we the point is that we these are all knowable you know mm. we we, uh, we can with the right approaches uh there, there'll be no surprises we, we know how to do it right and we know and we can work out what what's gone wrong 
Um, so yeah. But that's not that far away. That sorry, no. it's not actually that. It's not that mysterious. Once you get the basics, when you get that bit of information, suddenly mm. this like fear of like catastrophic failure and bad retrofit kind of goes away. So I, I feel like I just want to mm. tell people, you know, you're pretty close to understanding this. There, you mm. know, it, it's it's there, it's available. Like and and when you get it, it's it's really great. Sorry, Duncan. Yeah, I think what you said was probably the most compelling. An articulate argument I've heard for some time. And that makes my Friday feel much better. I was Thanks. thinking, you know, I, I I think that is really quite a powerful. You may talk about narrative really change. It's really a very powerful narrative. What you've what you just said. That to the extent I think we should actually we should you should write it. It was really incredibly powerful because I think it is about trying to shift and change the dynamic. You're right. It is, and you know, come back to the nuts and bolts of it. You know, whether it's ECB standards, whether it's passive house, whether it's interfit, as long as we're in the ballpark of talking about building physics and what it, what what the kilowatt hours are, what the air quality is, how we ventilate, as long as you're in that ballpark, you're in the right ballpark. It's mm. when you yeah. don't. How does how does stuff fit and join? It's all it's 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 all in detail. But what you're talking about is that holistic uh, look at what our buildings are, what they're intended for, and how we operate and use them. I, th- I think that was honestly. I know we're all mates, but you know that was. <laughs> You know, exceptional. I think we should cut that out and put it at the front. <laughs> and there's nothing really more I can say after that. I feel yeah. as if. All right. So, is the time for a drink? <laughs> yeah, she's 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 got it in one. Well, you know, well done. Well, there we go. It's all solved. No, but I mean, it is just about. It's just about. I suppose pulling together the strands. And I sometimes and we um we we circle back on um urgency and action on comfort on value not cost. Um, and on improving and and building physics as a start for that like you know yeah. you don't go to the you know it's the same thing it's like you don't go to the doctor and say you know yeah. I'm feeling however I'm feeling and they just start lashing a load of random yeah. things at you because they've got the right label yeah. it's a it's a it's a working out of what's matter what what actually is the thing and how do we take a stepped approach to to fixing that like yeah, I agree. Yeah, evidence-based approaches rather than leakers and bloodletting and and mercury and all sorts, you know. Yeah. And, and also a shameless plug for the trust this week. But I think that the the so Yogini, uh, Beth, Sarah, uh, Kirsten, all the people there. They, there's a great guide that that um, the guys put together. Um, and, and Laura as well. It's phenomenal. It really is phenomenal. It's exactly the, you know, just following on from what you said. It's exactly the debate we have to be having. What do buildings do? What do we want them to do? You know, um, yeah, of course, retrofit's not not a great term. Healthy buildings is what we need. The, the, what, what the language in that document is about doing is about looking, which is what we said, the opportunity. Yeah. The, the, route for, the route map to how, how to realise those opportunities is building physics. Yeah. It's just what it is. Yeah. yeah. And just creating nice places to be in. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, like it's, exactly. it's, it's like exactly. the line from a, I don't know how up to this, but from Kurt Vonnegut novel where he talks about um, his uncle, um, uh, sitting sitting outside in the sun, having a glass of lemonade, and going, you know, isn't uh, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. The abrupt end to that recording is not a reflection on how we feel about our dear Jeff. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening.